very briefly just introduce intelligent design theory. This is a step on from the extended evolutionary critique of neo-Darwinism and may have some agreements with the, that critique, but it's going further and it's breaking with this blind watchmaker the thesis and saying, if we chuck that rule out, actually does the evidence point towards design? Can we make design inferences within biology just as we've made it within cosmology? So Stephen C. Meyer, who's a leading proponent of this uh, theory, says the theory of intelligent design holds that there are telltale features of living systems and the universe that are best explained by an intelligent cause of some kind. The theory does not challenge the idea of evolution defined as change over time or even common ancestry, but it does dispute Darwin's idea that the cause of biological change is wholly blind and undirected. It says, yet yeah, that's blind and undirected capacities of the created world can do stuff, but there, maybe there are signs that there's more actively going on than that. And actually, I think ID thesis boils down to three core claims. That there, one, there's empirical evidence that passes two reliable design detection criteria, three, to warrant a scientific inference to intelligent design as the best explanation of that evidence. Those are the three core claims. Now, uh, th this is a scientific inference, that's a dis dis debate within philosophy of science, and many atheists actually today, like Richard Dawkins or Bradley Monton, they quoted, or Victor Stenger, accept that ID is a scientific theory. They just think it's a false one, but they think it's a scientific theory. Thomas Nagel uh, says, look, a purely semantic linguistic classification of a hypothesis or its denial as belonging or not to science is of limited interest to someone who wants to know whether the hypothesis is true or false. Right? So long as you don't think that science is the only way to know stuff, right? he's kind of saying, who cares whether this argument is scientific or not? I care about whether it's true or not that design explains some things in the, in the biological world. And I kind of say, yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying, I, I, I kind of agree, but I would add that if it turns out that intelligent design is true, it would be really implausible not to call it science. <laughs> That's just going to be really awkward, and we're going to train all the you know, members of the philosophy department to start using mass spectrometers and, and telescopes and microscopes and things so that they can... <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, I, I kind of like lumping this all into natural philosophy, as you know, but uh, why not just tweak what we define science as? Um, that's going to be a lot easier. Um, I think there's no good reason to say that making such an inference is unscientific and kind of say, no, we can't do that in science. Um, it's a bit like applying David Hume's arguments about miracles and saying, you know, history doesn't say miracles don't happen, but it, it can't mention, you can't discuss the topic in history, so we can't talk about what happened uh, on the third day to Jesus, who knows, you know. Um, well, t just because we've defined history in a certain way, a subject that's not allowed to mention anything supernatural. Well, fine, okay, I'm going to introduce a new subject. It's called, What Actually Happened in the Past Studies? And you're allowed to investigate 
what you think the best explanation of events in the past were on the basis of historical evidence, and you're allowed to mention something supernatural if you think you've got a good enough reason for it. I'm not breaking the rule of methodological naturalism in history. I'm not doing history. I'm doing what happened in the past, that is. Right? I, yeah. So, kind of as Nagel says, it, it, this gets kind of semantic, but surely what we should be interested in primarily is the question of what's true, like Monton said, um, and go from there. Uh, so the second claim is that we've got reliable design, design detection criteria, and I've introduced what I think is one, this specified complexity criteria. I published a peer-reviewed philosophy article a number of years ago showing how people who disagree with ID use explicitly and implicitly this specified complexity criteria in their work, including their scientific work, uh, to, do, uh, to do work. Uh, it's um, not contentious difference. It's not what makes the difference between whether you agree on ID or not, I think. Um, Craig, we've, I've quoted him before uh, about the, the illustration about the poker game uh, and things, and I just put a couple of books up if you're interested in the kind of the mathematical precise definition of this criteria. Um, work with William Densky and then colleagues. Um, the most recent book is Introduction to Evolutionary Informatics, uh, and a, they've got a website. They've published a number of peer-reviewed uh, scientific um, journal articles in this area. It, but even to quote Richard Dawkins from an op-ed in Free Inquiry magazine, uh, Dawkins himself said, specified complexity takes care of the sensible point that in the unique disposition of its parts, a pile of detached watch parts tossed about in a box is as improbable as what he calls a fully functioning, genuinely complicated, uh, specifically complicated watch. What is, what is specified about a watch is that it is improbable in the specific direction of telling the time. So yes, any arrangement of watch bits is one possible arrangement of watch bits out of all the possible arrangement of watch bits. But if you see the watch bits arranged into a watch that's telling the time, <laughs> you infer design, and quite rightly. Yeah. Not to mention the fashioning of each of those individual, individual right. watch bits. Right, not, e not even getting into that issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So the, the, the first core claim here is that empirical evidence in the biological realm, say, passes through some such criteria and that we, yeah, it's fine to call that science, but that's a kind of secondary issue. One and two are the, the key core claims of ID, as it were. Um, but as we've been intimating, life requires information in this sort of specified complexity, functionally defined information kind of a sense. Watson and Crick uh, in 53 announced the discovery of the three-dimensional double helical structure of DNA and it was soon after in 58 that Crick theorized the sequence specificity of amino acid in proteins derives from a prior specificity of arrangement in the nucleotide bases of the DNA molecule which functioned just like alphabetic letters in an English text or binary digits in software or a machine code. It's not an analogy it's an identical, mathematically speaking, property. Experiments in the 60s established that the sequential arrangement of amino acids that determines the folding and thus the function of proteins is indeed encoded within the rungs of the DNA ladder. And since the 60s, it's therefore been apparent that as origin of life researcher Bernard Ulf Kulpers observed, quote, that the problem of the origin of life 
is clearly basically equivalent to the problem of the origin of information. Here's a quote from Richard Dawkins. He says, at the bottom of my garden is a large willow tree and it's pumping downy seeds into the air containing DNA whose coded characters spell out specific instructions for building willow trees. It's raining instructions out there. It's raining programs. That is not a metaphor. It's the plain truth. Questions, where do programs come from? Starting with the Hungarian British scientist philosopher Michael Polonyi's 1967 paper, Life Transcending Physics and Chemistry, the scientific recognition of information at the root and heart of biology has formed the basis for increasingly sophisticated arguments against reductive explanations of life in terms of physical chance and or necessity, and for the need to incorporate an appeal to intelligence into any causally adequate explanation of organic life. So as Maya argues in a book like Signature in the Cell, there's simply too much information in the cell to be explained by chance alone. The information in DNA and RNA has also been shown to defy explanation by forces of chemical necessity. Uh, saying otherwise would be like saying a headline arose as the result of chemical attraction between ink and paper. It would be like saying that the position of my uh, magnetic alphabet letters on the fridge is, deter is determined by the magnetic forces. N no, the fact that they stick on the fridge is determined by magnetic law. But the arrangement of the letters is not determined by, by a physical law. And if, if it was, you couldn't use arrangements of those letters to communicate different bits of information. Because the arrangement would be determined by natural law. So you couldn't use it as the, as the way of communicating a code. Likewise, in DNA, there's, there's, there's forces of attraction that explain why the nucleotides stick within the ladder, but the, the sequence arrangement is not determined by any physical forces. DNA functions like a software program. We know from experience that software comes from programmers. Uh, also, this connects with the, the idea you may have heard of irreducible complexity, which is really a, a, it's a subset, a form of specified complexity. There's an overlap here, actually. Michael Behe in Darwin's Black Box argued that by, by irreducibly complex, I mean a single system composed of several well-matched interacting parts that contribute to achieving a basic function, wherein the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to effectively cease that function. Now, he argues that the body is full of this kind of molecular machine constructed out of the, the proteins. He says an IC system can't evolve directly by slight successive modifications with advantages along each step of the way, right, for natural selection to select, because a direct precursor of a, such a system that's missing a part is by definition non-functional. It doesn't achieve that function. It might achieve something else, but you don't get this function by a gradual direct route of evolution. And he says an IC system is very unlikely to evolve indirectly, which is the other possibility. He says it's possible, but very unlikely. And he says as the complexity of an interacting system increases, as the number of different kinds of molecules involved, and so on, goes up, the likelihood of such an indirect evolutionary route drops exponentially. 
In other words, if a system is irreducibly complex, it is an example of a specified achieving a function complexity, complex enough, to be implausible to attribute that match to the functional pattern to chance. So things exhibiting specified complexity are best explained as the product of intelligent design. Intelligence is the only known cause of such information. Life exhibits specified complexity at a number of places, you might argue, say in the large amounts of functional information at the origin of life, in the origination of new animal body plans over history, and so on, uh, in molecular machines, etc., etc. Three, therefore, the best explanation of life includes an appeal to intelligent design, and that would be the argument. As I say, that the criteria is not particularly controversial in as much as, you know, Richard Dawkins will... His philosophy will object to it, mm. but as a, as a scientific criteria, or allowing that, yeah, that's a scientific argument, okay. So really the, the heart of the controversy is over the empirical claim that, say, um, irreducibly complex machines are unlikely enough to count as things that we can infer design from, or it's unlikely enough that life arose from non-life to have that information processing system. And there, there are, there, there are, there are folks like uh, Eugene Koonin who will say it's massively unlikely if this is the only universe, you know, that would indicate design, but appeal to the multiverse. If there's enough universes randomly percolating away, then life could evolve from non-life by chance. And so again, the multiverse comes in here to increase your probabilistic resources to mean that, okay, it's specified, but it's not actually unlikely or complex enough because there's more throws of the dice happening. And we're back into our conversation about the multiverse hypothesis. At which point I end my remarks. We all rush down to the coach and uh, grab a water on the way. Thank you. <laughs>